I saw one of the F-15s cross from left to right, and then I looked back down. When I looked back up, he was he was on top of us. I'd have rode that thing to the ground. You know, I looked back on it, and it was like, man, you came within inches of dying that day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. inches. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hello, my name is Rick Houston. You're listening to the glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over Racing Stories podcast. So just what is a glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story? For those of you who know, you know. For those of you who don't know, listen to this, and it will become obvious. If it doesn't become obvious, well... I'm sure there's a crocheting podcast somewhere out there that you just might enjoy. To me, history is far more than a boring list of names and dates that we had to memorize once upon a time in school. More often than not, history is made by ordinary people going out and accomplishing extraordinary things. You might laugh. You might shed a tear. If you followed the sport for decades, you might remember something that you've not thought of in years. Buckle up. Let's get one thing straight right from the very beginning. It is my dream in life to one day fly with the United States Navy's Blue Angels or the Air Force's Thunderbirds flight demonstration team. Both are the very definition of precision and excellence. To be able to say that I flew one day with the very best of the best, nothing could be better than that. And the thing is, I still feel that way, despite what happened to Bill Elliott on November 24th, 1987. Two days earlier, Elliott had won the 1987 Winston Cup season finale at his home track, then known as Atlanta International Raceway. Elliott had finished out that year incredibly strong, winning three of the last four races and a total of six over the course of the entire 29-race schedule. Although he finished a distant second to Dale Earnhardt in the final Winston Cup standings that year, Elliott would come back in 1988 to collect the sport's biggest prize, the Winston Cup championship. He very nearly didn't get that chance. The whole ordeal started out with a dream, just like mine. I wanted to ride in a, in a military jet. I'd always oh, yeah, because I had been flying for a long time and or for several years and I thought, man, that'd be great. And I actually been flying for about 10 years. So I thought, man, that'd be a cool thing to do. Before the flight, Elliot had laughed and said that when all was said and done that day, that he would more than likely want to jump out of his plane and kiss the ground. After the flight, he was, in fact, very fortunate to be back on good old terra firma. Elliot was in an F-16 piloted by Major Wayne Conroy. And when they took off that day from Dobbins Air Force Base in Marietta, Georgia, it was like a scene straight out of a movie. They got to the end of the runway, and Conroy pulled back hard on the controls. The F-16 shot suddenly skyward, almost straight up. At about 10,000 feet, they leveled off, and Conroy asked Elliot, an experienced private pilot, if he wanted to fly the plane himself. For the next 10 minutes or so, Elliot was at the controls of one of the most extraordinary aircraft in aviation history. Then, Conroy took over and flew some G-force awareness turns to see how they would affect Elliot. 
After passing that test, it was time for the main event. Four combat maneuvers with a couple of F-15s, two at the low level of just 2,500 feet, followed by two more at about 14,000 feet. At approximately 3 p.m. in the skies near Augusta, Georgia, Conroy and Elliot encountered an F-15 piloted by Lieutenant Colonel Bruce McLean. Before Elliot could even begin to comprehend what was taking place, the two planes made contact in midair. I saw one of the F-15s cross from left to right, and then I looked back down. When I looked back up, he was he was on top of us, like at about two o'clock. And I didn't know till I got the video out of our airplane that my guy tried to lock onto him, turned away, and then turned back. Yeah. But then we got on top. We we were almost colliding, so my guy turns left. Oh. The other guy turns left and pulls up, and our right wing goes through the belly of his airplane and cuts, and it hits it. Uh, F-15's got two engines. So it cut into the fuselage and caught him on fire. Rather than one plane zigging and the other zagging, they both zigged or zagged, whichever the case might have been. The canopy comes down to your elbows. You know, you're sitting there. And I mean, it was like the world on top of you. I mean, all I can remember seeing the bottom of the airplane. I really didn't know what I was looking at until after I saw the video. The pilot of the other plane had his own problems. With his F-15 now badly damaged, McLean elected to eject. He survived with nothing more than a broken finger. It was the first of a good many miracles that took place that day. By that time, Elliot had logged thousands of ultra-high-speed laps this close to 40 other vultures on the racetrack. That being the case, nothing had prepared him for that moment. When he caught on fire, then he punched out. And then I'm looking at our damaged airplane. Could you see all this? I mean, did you see him? You couldn't focus on it. Okay. I mean, it happened so fast, literally so fast. I mean, hell, I'd run 200 miles an hour, and I'd never witnessed anything like I did. (laughs) Conroy managed to maintain control of his mangled F-16 and limped his plane back to where the impact had taken place. Elliot could remember the images vividly. I lost communication with the guy flying the airplane, and... I saw he was he was trying to control the airplane and seemed like we had control and he made a a, a slow right hand turn and came back around where we had impacted and there was a cloud of smoke and then the other you could see the guy parachuting down and the other F fifteen was circling around him as he was parachuting down. With communication knocked out between Conroy and Elliot, the pilot quickly scrawled out a note to his passenger. It was enough to turn anyone's blood cold, much less a hardcore and seasoned race car driver like Bill Elliott. Then the guy wrote me a note. He says, I'm going to try it in landing configuration. If we lose control, we'll eject. And he had it on the line three or four times. And I thought, okay, yeah, right, okay. And he yeah. passed this back to you. passed this back to me. A million thoughts raced through Elliott's mind. He did not want to eject and go down in water. Maybe he'd seen Goose by the farm when he and Maverick went into the drink in the movie Top Gun. Who knows? As it was, Elliot could look around him and plainly see that the situation was indeed dire. We're trucking along there, and I'm looking over at the airplane, and the the part that's 
that I call a flap. It's called, I think, an aileron spoiler on that thing. It, you, know, you got the aileron on the outer board. Well, it's gone. All aileron's gone on the right side. Oh, my goodness. Then you got that flap, which is the aileron spoiler. It's turned straight up. I look down the fuselage, and it's standing straight up, and I'm at the back of the wing. And I'm thinking, how in the world is this thing still flying? As Conroy and Elliot slowly made their way back to Dobbins, Time had little to no real meaning for Elliot. We get kind of all so, sorted out there, and I'm telling you what, it was an eternity from the time <laughs> we hit yeah. till the time we got back to the Air Force wow. Base. F-16s are equipped with two highly flammable belly tanks, and as Conroy got closer to landing, he attempted to eject them. It was no use. The right one was too badly damaged to be freed from the plane. After what seemed like forever, the runway finally came into view. Again, however, what he saw next brought Elliot up short. When I saw Stone Mountain, I knew we were coming back to Dobbins. We flew over Dobbins and all the stuff's out there. You know, the the safety equipment, ambulance, fire trucks. Good night, man. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, crap, this is big. (laughs) 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 Or this is going to be big. This is going to be big. (laughs) (laughs) Why, Charlotte was nothing compared to this. (laughs) Even Talladega. As Conroy slowed the F-16, it began to shudder. Was this it? Had the plane been too badly damaged to hold together during an attempted landing? Conroy brought the aircraft down at about 200 knots, 60 or so more than a normal landing attempt. However long it actually was after the impact, it might have been a matter of several minutes or an hour or three days in Elliot's mind. The plane finally came to a rest on the ground. Elliot was safe and sound, if not rattled just the least little bit. The funny thing, or it wasn't funny, it, you know, I look back on it and it was like, man, you came within inches of dying. That day. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. inches. I mean, and, and heck, you've done all this stuff all your life and hit walls and run into things and all the things you've ever done and you've never witnessed anything like that. And, you know, I get on the ground, I get out, and one of the guys looks at it, and he says, I've never seen one come back that's tore up that bad. And I'm thinking, wow, wow am I lucky or am I not lucky? You know, what, how, yeah. how do I read this one? Not long afterward, Elliot headed to New York City for that year's Winston Cup Awards banquet. When asked about the incident there, Elliot found it difficult, if not outright impossible, to fully describe the incident. They just didn't know how serious it had been. You try to tell that story, and it, it's beyond belief. And I you mean, didn't become a preacher that day, or anything. <laughs> I thought about it, you know. Wow. But, but you know, I never, I'll never forget going to the banquet, and they were saying, "Well, you know, they hit wings, and you know, they, you know, good to be here." And I said, "No, you just don't understand what went on that day. You know, you just don't know. You know, you had to." You had to really look at the video out of our airplane, how close it was. In and of itself, the near disaster was cause for Elliot to stop and think. But then, yet another heart-stopping element was discovered during the accident investigation. I found out a year later my ejection seat was not charged. So even if I got no punched out, I'd have rode that thing to the ground. Somebody was looking after me that day. I don't know. And, and, you know, you thank the good Lord for a lot of days. 
McLean, the pilot who ejected, retired several years later from the United States Air Force with the rank of Major General. As a memento of his service, and maybe as just a little bit of a gotcha, he was presented with a rather unique gift. The guy that was flying the F-15 that punched out, he retired there somewhere around 2000, late 90s, early 2000s. So they brought the ejection seat that he had that day up to the shop, and I autographed it, and they gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Did they really? Yes, sir. What happened to Bill Elliott that day in the skies over Georgia was an incredibly dynamic event, as frightening as the day is long. Still, I'm ready for my flight with the Blue Angels or Thunderbirds. Call me. Let's do lunch and discuss what will no doubt be one of the greatest days of my career. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon with another glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story. Go listen and follow the glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing stories podcast now. Available on DirtyMoMedia.com and all major podcast platforms. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.